Well, my heart is full this morning. It's truly Thanksgiving. But the best way I know to celebrate Thanksgiving is not just one day on the calendar. It's by thanks living. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about this morning is celebrating Thanksgiving by our thanks living. And truly, that was Paul's point as he was writing to the Corinthians about this offering. Offering being received for the impoverished, persecuted Jewish believers over in the land of Judea and others, other places. He was receiving an offering for them. And these Gentile believers were giving so generously for the vision that they could see their brothers and sisters in Christ who were descendants of Abraham, now followers of Jesus, the Messiah. They could see the blessing that would come to their brothers and sisters in their generosity. And so they gave, truly, truly gave out of their hearts. And Paul wrote to them that what was so so encouraging to him and what had already been done and what was going to be done was what it was going to mean about true thanksgiving. True thanksgiving because of the way that they would be expressing thanks living. Now here's how Paul said it, beginning verse 10. If you there are there, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. Paul said, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval, he's speaking of the Jewish believers who will receive this offering from these Gentile Christians. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God. Because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks living. Paul's talking about the practice of thanks living that, yes, produces thanksgiving. Now, what is a life of thanksgiving that's expressed in thanks living? As we approach our time of worship at in communion this morning. Let me share these qualities with you, if I might, very simply, but lift them from what Paul is saying here. He says, first of all, first of all that thanks living is living expecting God's 
provision. It's, it's living in thanks, expecting God's provision. Notice Paul said, he who supplies, verse 10, you will be enriched. Your needs will be met in every way. Paul is talking about God's provision and how they could expect and were expecting God's provision. Friends, I told you last week something I hope that you've taken to heart and have not just said it once but many times, and it is absolutely true. We live our theology. We live our theology. Theology is belief about God. It's, it's what it means to understand what we know about God. We live, we truly do live our theology. And in no area of our lives is that more evident than when it comes to our stewardship. Re remind you, stewardship just means management. Management of the resources of someone else. That's stewardship. And for a Christian, when we talk about stewardship, it means the management of the resources that belong to God. And how much belongs to God? <laughs> all of it. All of it. The earth. All it contains. And the people who dwell on the earth. It's all God's. He owns it all. And so if God is owner, in reality, we are managers of what is his. Now Jesus is our authority for this. That we live our theology. Even when it comes to how we handle God's resources. Jesus is our authority. It was Jesus who said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. It was Jesus that said that. Where your treasure is, there is where your heart will be. It was Jesus who said, no one can serve two masters. Either hold to the one or despise the other. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. No one can serve two masters, God and money. We live our theology. But it's not just theology of the head. It's also theology of the heart. And I hope you understand, when I'm talking about the heart, I'm not talking about the, the, the pump in our chest that circulates the blood. When the Bible talks about your heart, it's not talking about that pump in your chest. It's talking about that which is at the very essence of your life, that which is the guiding compass of your life, the value system of your life, goes much deeper than just what you cognitively believe, that is what you think, but what you actually feel. Theology comes from the heart. Theology of the heart what we believe about God is actually what we feel about God. And what we feel about God will guide every aspect of our lives. 
I don't know if I cited him last week, but I do want to cite him this week for something that John Piper said that I, who's a pastor, Minneapolis writer, some of you may be familiar with him, actually pastor emeritus now as he's serving in various works. But he said this, to a generous Christian, God feels like a taker. To a selfish Christian, to a, rather let me say that, to a generous Christian, God feels like a giver, too much, too much pumpkin pie. Be, be patient with me. <laughs> to a selfish Christian, what does God feel like? I take her. Thank you very much for helping your poor pastor this morning. Maybe I should sit down and you should stand up and talk to me. <laughs> to a generous Christian, God feels like a giver. Don't be afraid of that word feeling, as long as your feelings don't get disconnected from the objective truth of Scripture. God created the emotional part of our being just as well as he did that which we consider rational. But feeling is not irrational. What we feel about God will guide our lives, guides our generosity, a generous Christian feels that God is a giver. A selfish Christian feels God's a taker, feels he's a taker. Now, a generous Christian feels this. What does a generous Christian feel? Verse 8. He feels this and he lives this. Look at verse 8. God is able... To make all grace abound to you. And that's gift of grace, which here has to do with resources. God is able to make all these gracious resources abound to you so that you having all sufficiency in all things, having your needs met, you may abound in every good work. A, a generous Christian feels that about God. That God is able. God is able to make all of his resources abound so a person's needs can be met and that person can abound in every other good work. Believes God is able and he believes that God will provide. See, a lot of people who think well, God owns it all, and they think that. <laughs> but when they think about God owning it all, you know what they envision God in their mind, or at least in their emotions? They envision God or feel God with clenched fists around everything he owns. Right? And my friend, if you see God with a clenched fist, you do not see him rightly. Because our God is a God of open hands even to opening those hands on the cross and letting nails be driven through them for you and me. God's a giver. He's a giver. And we need to ask God to help us to know him so that he feels like that to us. Generous Christians know and feel that God is a giver, God is a provider, and here's what else 
generous Christians know and feel, and I'm so blessed. It's so reflected in so many of your lives. Generous Christians know that the harvest is not just for them. Generous Christians know that the harvest is not just for them. Their life is thanksgiving, and they know life is not just about taking. And they understand the harvest is to be extended to others, extending God's provision. Look at verse 11. Thanks living is extending God's provision. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us, this offering, will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service, again, he's talking about the offering, not only will be supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Now notice in both of those verses, thanksgiving to God. For a generous Christian, thanksgiving is the harvest. Thanksgiving is the harvest. That's what Paul is talking about. The harvest of what you are planting here, what you are sowing, he says, is going to be thanksgiving. It's going to be praise and worship to God. And in your generosity, you are going to cause this harvest of thanksgiving to be offered up to the Lord. Thanksgiving is the harvest. Now, friends, how powerful is that? How powerful is it when we begin to live for the purpose of causing thanksgiving? Talk about a new direction in life. When you begin to think that my life is about causing others to experience God and offer thanks to him. Not to me, but to him. That's powerful. What's it bring? It brings united praise. What happens when we have that kind of thanks living? There's the power of united praise. He's, Paul is saying, you are going to be praising God and giving thanks. And these to whom you are giving, they're going to be praising God. There's going to be a united praising of God. Then Paul says there's going to be united worship. Verse 13, they're going to glorify God because of you. Even as you have been glorifying God through being able to give, they're going to be glorifying God. There's going to be unity in worship, the power of united worship. There's going to be the power of united devotion. What did Jesus say? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So when you take some of your treasure, God's treasure, and you put it in other people's lives, guess where your heart goes? To other people 
and you treasure them. It's a natural result that through generosity, we actually have a united devotion. The, those who give and those who receive do so from the Lord and receive it from the Lord and they are united in new bond of love. What had been going on between Jews and Gentiles for centuries before this? Division, hatred, animosity. But the love of Jesus Christ had knocked down that middle wall of partition. He broke it down. He made one new people. And through this generosity, he is knitting the hearts of people together in devotion in him. And nothing can set them apart. Then there's the power, notice this, of united intercession. These people in Macedonia and in Achaia, southern Greece, northern Greece, they've been praying for their brothers and sisters in Judea. They give this offering. They send this offering with their prayers. The brothers and sisters in Judea receive the offering. And what do they do? Verse 14 they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God for you. They are receiving back the prayers and the intercession of the people to whom they have given. What's the most priceless thing a person can give to you? My friend, the most priceless thing a person can give to you is give you their prayers. And generous people are made rich with the prayers of the thanks of others. Power of united intercession. Well, friends, I really want to say this. Guess who else knows the power of thanks living? Guess who else knows the power of that? Who else knows the power of generosity? The devil. The devil. How does the devil seek to stop generosity? How does he do that? Well, he has many ways of doing that. But there's one, one tool that the devil uses to stop <laughs> the generosity of God's people. One tool he uses is just excessive debt. A Christian desires to be generous. A Christian desires to be generous. A person who does not desire to be generous is not a Christian. A person who has no desire, not, I'm not talking about ability, I'm not talking about poverty, I'm talking about the desire. A person who does not desire to be generous is not a Christian. Because a Christian, of all people, 
is someone who has experienced the untold generosity of a gracious God and has received a new heart. Not just a name on a church roll, but a Christian has received a new heart like the Lord's. And that's a generous heart, right? But untold numbers of Christians want to be generous, but they can't. You see, there's silent bondage that if we're not careful, we let ourselves slip into silent bondage. I shared with you a couple weeks ago that the, in America, the median household income in America, $55,000. But let me tell you about the silent bondage that's throughout this country. With that median household income of $55,000, the median credit card debt per household in America is $16,800. And $83 at an average interest of 13.6%. The median vehicle debt, nothing wrong with having a nice vehicle, nothing wrong with a credit card. May not have them, I've got a few. But I try to master them. I want to be master of the card, not master card. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty good. That was in my notes. I... <laughs> but th- $16,883. That's the median. Median vehicle debt, $29,900. $39 with the average loan on that being five years, eight months. For homes that have student debt, the average, the median student debt is $50,626. The number one reason, the number one restriction why younger people are not able to respond to the call to mission field is... Student debt, number one. Want to go, but can't go. The median mortgage, $182,420. Now, friends, hear me on this. God is, what did I say? God is a God who gives freely. And he gives more to others and he gives to some. And there's nothing wrong with having the things that God provides, but how we shackle ourselves when we live beyond what God has provided. What's the impact of that kind of bondage? Well, personally, 57% of Americans, 57% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. 39% of Americans have no savings at all. The impact of the giving on God's work. The average giving to God's work in churches across America, the average giving is 1.8%. 
among evangelicals, that is, those who embrace the born-again evangelical terminology, evangelical giving to the Lord's work is 2.4%. Now, debt is not a sin. The Bible does not say that it's a sin to borrow. The Bible says the wicked borrow and don't repay. But the Bible does warn that excessive debt can become a bondage. Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying this after this offering. If I were you, I'd be thinking exactly what I was thinking when I felt like I should share this. I say, wow, brother, did we not just receive incredible offering? And we did, and I thank God for that. But my heart is also to see folks helped who desire to be generous, but in situations they find themselves they cannot. Those who are in poverty need our help, and we will do that and continue to do that. Every basic need will be met. But some, perhaps, need assistance, and how do I make the change? How do I come out of this and live now in freedom? I truly hope that coming in just a few months that we'll be able to offer what I would just call freedom groups so that people in community can encourage each other and insight on how to live in freedom before the Lord. Because I will tell you, when we desire to live according to God's principles, guess what you can bank on? God's provision in every way to live out his principle. So we look forward to seeing people that say, you know, it's time for me to examine and take stock of my need of moving toward freedom in this area. God wants us to live in thanks living. And you know how you live in thanks living? You live in the knowledge that a debt has been paid for you, right? <laughs> thanks be to God, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks living is living aware you have a debt that you could not pay that has been paid in full by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I told you earlier, I made up a word about this weekend, Chris giving. I love that about Paul. When Paul didn't have a word, he just made it up. Of course, he can do that. He's the apostle Paul, all right? But I love this. In verse 15, he makes up a word. He makes a word. It doesn't exist. It's never existed before this moment. And he needs a word, and there isn't a word. And he needs a word that describes what's indescribable. <laughs> so he just makes up the word. The word here, indescribable or inexpressible, is a word that Paul created. It means literally there is not a way of communicating that message. That, that, that idea cannot be communicated. It's inexpressible. 
It can't be communicated. What's he talking about? The gift of Jesus Christ. It is unable, we are unable to describe the gift of God in Christ. What was Paul's focus? I am crucified with Christ, he said. Remember in Galatians? Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now, here it is. Who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved Saul of Tarsus, me. Murderer of his disciples. Sworn enemy to him. Fanatic against everything having to do with Christ. Jesus loved me. He gave himself for me. Folks, I want to tell you, your world will be changed when you stop thinking only for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now that's incredible. But what makes it heaven on earth is when you can say, God so loved me that he gave his one and only son. For me, for me, he did this. In the 1870s, great preacher Dwight L. Moody was holding a evangelistic outreach in England. He and his song leader, Ira Sankey, went out to a gathering of the Romani people we often think of them, refer to them as the gypsies. And they had a services out there. And scores of them came to the Lord. One little boy gave his heart to Jesus. As they were getting back into the carriage, Iris Sankey felt led to pray over the little boy. Put his hand on his head, prayed for him. Asked God to use him mightily. Well, God heard that prayer. God had ordained that prayer. That little boy grew up to serve the Lord with the Salvation Army under William Booth. He became so known for his evangelistic ability in speaking that he began to hold his own meetings. And he was known, his first name was Rodney, but he was known as Gypsy Smith, Gypsy Smith. And he went on to preach the gospel until 1947. At the age of 87, he passed away. About the last year of his life, someone approached him and said, Gypsy, what is, what's been the secret to your ministry all these years? 
What's been the secret? Gypsy Smith, tears down his eyes, on his cheeks, said this. He said, I suppose it's this. I never lost the wonder of it all. I never lost the wonder of it all. Seven years after Gypsy's death, another song leader, thinking about that testimony, a man by the name of George Beverly Shea, wrote a song. <laughs> Maybe you've heard him sing it. Oh, the wonder of it all. The wonder of it all. Just to think that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all. The wonder of it all. To think that God loves me and gave Jesus for me.